WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guests are the creative team behind the new Vault series Godfell, Christopher Sabella and Ben Hennessy. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, ben, it is literally the middle of the night where you are. Um, how you hanging in there? Doing all right. I'm kind of used to this now because I'm kind of juggling uh, a podcast of my own and two books. So uh, I usually I might be winding down around now. So this is this is all right. Okay. All righty. Good, good, good. Well, uh, Ben, since this is your first time on the show, I'll ask you the first time guest question. What are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Um, The first ones outside of the usual kind of like Beano and stuff. I, I think the first one I I actually kind of started collecting was the Sonic the Comic. Is that something you guys got over your side of the world? It was definitely a UK book. Um, are we are we talking about the Hedgehog or something else? Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. It okay. Was, um, okay. Yeah, we got those. It was, <laughs> was kind of like um like 2018 meets Sonic the Hedgehog, where oh. um there was a first couple of issues were kind of regular Sonic and in Mobius um happy stuff. And then um, six months kind of would go by and somehow Dr. Robotnik has taken over the entire world and you kind of have to play catch up at what happened. And it's really bleak. Um, it's pretty great. I loved it and um, came out every couple of weeks. Um, and there was one week I went in to pick it up and it wasn't there. But what was on the shelf was because uh, um, there's a bookshop in my local town here. It's not a comic book shop, so I kind of pick up whatever I could at the time. And I saw Astonishing Spider-Man, Essential X-Men, and Wolverine Unleashed, which were these kind of collector's editions. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, like, these are possibly, like, a, these characters that I'd seen on on TV and cartoons or had this whole other realm of something that wasn't just for kids. Um, and then I'd managed to kind of pick them up and, and devour them, and I'm still devouring them today, you know, as much of them as I possibly can. Right on. Now, a uh, question for both of you. Uh, what are some of the first fantasy stories that you remember consuming uh, across genres? Chris, why don't you start? Uh, definitely, I think Beastmaster was Ooh. probably my first. Uh, okay. it's a, the guy who made Phantasm, he made a fantasy movie um, mm. with uh, a guy who talks to, well, he only talks to like four animals. Um, there's like a panther, there's a hawk. There's two ferrets, and then there. That, that, maybe that's it. Is just those. There might be a bear too, um, but yeah, it's like him versus Rip Torn. Um, like, and there's a really disturbing scene, like right in the beginning when he's being born, and this wizard, like, paints this stuff on his mother's belly, and then transfers his fetus from the mother into this cow. Um, uh, like uh, I just rewatched it recently, and it's like this is really me- like really messed up even now. <laughs> um, and you know, I probably saw that when I was like seven or eight. Um, <clears throat> so that's a big formative one, and then Crawl is the other big formative one, which is uh, you know mostly notable because it has the glaive, um, which is like the coolest weapon in a movie ever. Um, <laughs> so uh yeah those two were about it and then uh i also i read a lot of like um choose your own adventure books yeah um 
and stuff similar to that. There was like an offshoot, not an offshoot, but someone else did one. I think they were UK based. Um, and uh, there was one called Death Trap Dungeon um, that like really uh, shaped me, especially a love for like dungeons and labyrinths full of elaborate traps. Um, there, there, there aren't any dungeons or elaborate traps in Godfell, so I'm gonna have to do at least one more fantasy book to uh, <laughs> to get that out of my system. As long but as I'm I, drawing it, sure. Uh, <laughs> like I, I, I used to spend. I remember, like as a kid, uh, I would have like a book of graph paper, and I would be, I would like ornately be like designing like an overhead view. It was like a Zelda map of a dungeon. And be like, okay, this is the room where like just acid pours in for some reason, and then you got to get through that, and then the next room has the next trap. So that was really um, fantasy for me for a while, and then I very quickly like lost interest in it um, after I saw the movie Dragon Slayer. Um, for whatever, I still haven't gone back and watched it to figure out what broke my heart with that, but that really like turned me off for a long time. But I'm back now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, welcome back. How about uh, how about you, Ben? I'm trying to think there. Uh, the earliest fantasy, the, the the only one I can think of that comes to mind straight away now is is the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Like okay, that was yeah. that was. Uh, I don't know what age I was consuming that, um, but I loved it. I actually didn't really even realize it was fantasy until kind of way later. Where I remember my brother telling me I liked fantasy. My younger brother, so I mean, he had no right knowing better than me, <laughs> and. Um, he was uh, telling me that it was fantasy. And I went, Dungeons and Dragons is fantasy. And as I said that sentence, I went, oh, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is fantasy. And uh, I loved I loved that. I, I thought it was great. The kids kind of going off on a on a weird roller coaster, ending up in this weird universe. And um, I'm kind of a sucker for anything like where there's a, an amazing weapon for a group of or, or even an individual to kind of get their hands on this 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 you know the, the best sword that plus one sword we all like you know mm-hmm. um but all these guys had it there was the shield um wasn't mad about the shield guy kind of wanted something that could do more damage you know um i was young i just wanted to be shoving the thing around as opposed to uh be the guy who tries to protect everybody in the team i wanted to be the guy to beat the bad guy so i, I quite liked um the the arrow um the archer. those were like made of light yeah. or something right yeah i was trying to think they weren't fire right it was light or something yeah yeah that was that was probably my first big kind of like oh yeah i do like fantasy i really like this um i actually only heard that they they had written the ending for that show and uh it got really interesting um i don't know if it's if they committed to it in canon but dungeon master and uh what was the bad guy's name ven uh it's not vengeance it's not venger it's avenger um venger apparently venger was the dungeon master's son and uh hmm. they would kind of uh rekindle their relationship later on in the, in the series and and he'd be a good guy and he'd yeah it was it was strange i, I didn't see that kind of uh, curveball coming my way but uh yeah i'd go back into that in a heartbeat i loved it now Matt, as I'm as I'm I'm sitting here listening to these great stories, it occurs to me, where where what is your first uh, fantasy? There, I mean, we we've heard the Batman story a number of times, but I don't know that I've heard this one. Uh, probably the Rankin Bass Hobbit. That's a good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The uh, 
that John Houston as Smaug, mm-hmm. uh, short, you know, uh, they told the whole story in 45 minutes. You didn't need <laughs> seven and a half hours of movie to tell The Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's that's probably the, the the earliest fantasy that and i think some of those choose your own adventure books too eventually because a lot of them oh yeah had fantasy themes mm-hmm. but, you know it went from there to the i mean the rankin bass return of the king with the legendary where there's a whip there's a way which is a staple of drag shows to this day uh, and you know from there onto a lot of you know legend and labyrinth and all of those, yeah. but it all goes back oh, to the Hobbit. Yeah, legend. God, I forgot about that. that's a great film. I love that. Um, God, I shouldn't have forgot that. I was actually just talking about it recently. I, 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 we used to get this this video van that would drive around. Like uh, I'm from Wexford, and it would drive around the county. Hmm. And um, he would like just a bookmobile, but for movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he was given like v like renting VHSs, and I remember getting that loving it and then when he came around to pick it up i had to give it back to him but then i just rented it again and uh <laughs> yeah yeah i love that film right on well uh you guys are here to talk about godfell which is your new vault series with colors triana farrell and letterer jim campbell launching february 22nd as of this recording uh matt why don't you go ahead and read the solicited text for the listeners one sunny day in the land of caratham god falls dead from the sky The impact sends out shockwaves that draw in royal families at war, shadowy creatures of the dark, and armies of the dispossessed, all coming to lay claim to parts of God's body. Into this power struggle wanders Zanzi Volain, a soldier and berserker trying to get home from a years-long war, forced to fight her way through the strange landscapes in and on God's corpse, from the soles of its feet through the top of its head, Zanzi will acquire a mysterious traveling companion on her own pilgrimage. Now, Nietzsche famously wrote that God is dead, and Trent Reznor famously wrote, God is dead and no one cares. If there is a hell, I'll see you there. How much were either of these classical thinkers in your head while crafting this story? <laughs> I forgot about the the Nine Inch Nails one. Uh, you can't help but think of the Nietzsche one, though. Like, um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, God is, you know, it's a good tagline. Um, like that's why it's endured. It's just a, it's a good pithy statement. So, um, uh, yeah, mostly, I mean, you know, our God is not, you know, like, I don't know what, you know, we tried to create everything sort of from the ground up. So, uh, definitely like God in our book, uh, is not like, um, I don't know. It's not that deep, I guess. Um, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's mostly, you know, I just thought a dead, giant dead body would be a cool setting for a fantasy book. And then, I don't know, like it being God just somehow makes it, you know, wandering through a giant corpse on its own is pretty messed up. But then if you layer in like, oh, this is God's body. And what does that mean for, you know? uh everything um you know that's a it's a good recipe to sort of mess around and see what you can do so here we are 
We did it. <laughs> uh, so what what is the the origin of this project? How you know? How do you do? You remember how you first <clears throat> conceived of it? Um. Yeah, I I had set a challenge for myself for a while that um, you know, fantasy was one of these genres that I I just I have not liked, and I've mostly made fun of a lot uh, for the last ten plus years. So um, eventually, I got curious, like, why do I have this problem with fantasy, and like, you know, why why don't I put my money where my mouth is and like try to come up with a fantasy story that would be that I that I would like, um, but you know, it was just like one of those things sitting in the back of my brain. Um, I wasn't like actively working on it, but uh, you know, I figured it out just like on a walk with my dog. Um, it was just like I had this uh, vision of like this gigantic corpse falling out of the sky and slamming into the earth, and I thought that was like a really good way to start a book. And I was curious, like, well, what happens after that? So. That's usually a good sign. Um, so yeah, after I, you know, I uh, started sort of actively working on it on the side, and it all came together really easily. And I, I don't know, it was just a lot of fun. So uh, I knew I was on to something. If it's you know something I don't have to like <clears throat> gnash my teeth about, um, it's something that I looked forward to working on and sort of building out the world and doing all the stuff that fantasy people do um you know like i i didn't officially draw a map but i started drawing a map so like i got i got close to getting way too deep in the weeds <laughs> that's where uh, i ended up yes <clears throat> that's your job because <laughs> <laughs> ben's dropped to draw those weeds <laughs> yes sure um, i did drew a lot of them um is there you know, th thinking about the, you know, you know, your kind of break with with fantasy. You know, we started out talking about like Beastmaster and Kroll and choose your own adventure novels and like uh, Labyrinth and Legend and you know all that stuff. Is there a difference between that sort of of fantasy that was coming out when we were you know slightly before we were born to you know when we were super young to like you know what you're seeing now with like your your as as matt said you know nine hour hobbit franchise and game of thrones and that stuff where the way it's made now is maybe maybe more of a turnoff for you personally i i definitely think um yeah sort of uh, you know the the adultness of it uh i think works not to say that like you can't tackle adult things in fantasy, but like especially Game of Thrones seemed like like ooh, it's like it's dirty fantasy. It's like yeah, it's like I I always called that show Elf Titties, like because that's like it was just like ooh, like you know, aren't we aren't we really pushing the envelope here? Um, I don't know, and and yeah, definitely Lord of the Rings uh, was way too long for me that whole part with the trees walking around just like really uh, killed a lot of my enthusiasm. And I didn't even see the Hobbit. Cause I, I knew how short of a book that was. And I knew it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't nine hours of cinema. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just like, I, I think what doesn't work for me with sort of these new takes on fantasy is like, 
it's like the people making it are almost kind of embarrassed that they're making fantasy. Um, you know, so they're, you know, the same way that people talk about elevated horror is mm. like, oh, this is better than regular horror. Like, and it's like, it's like, they're all horror movies. Like, and it's like, it's all fantasy stuff, but like, I get the feeling that, especially with like Game of Thrones stuff that like, they're almost a little embarrassed to be making fantasy. So they have to like adult it up. And uh, that that just kind of, you know, uh, I'm definitely down to have a bad time with, with the stuff I watch and read. Um, but, um, you know, fantasy is a fun genre. And I, I feel like, you know, um, yeah, th- there's just like, it felt like a reluctance to have fun with what, you know, uh, it's like stuff that kids play in the backyard is like, you know, swords and sorcery and, uh, you know, now my dog is a dragon and we have to defeat him. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I think it's just that, that weird turn. Um, and I think when anything gets really popular, like, um, you kind of get overdosed with it. So I think, uh, that definitely like drove on, there was just more fantasy to make fun of, I guess. So I was more active in making fun of it. Um, but things seem to have pulled back a little now. So I, um, between that and working on Godfell, I feel like we've come, I've come to a peace with it. <laughs> there's, there's been some like, um, did you, you guys aware like, do you, do you watch Critical Role? Watch that new series that came out of Legend of Vox Machina? I mean, that's coming from uh, some animation background. Like that's. That's just kind of a series that's kind of taking the the silly nudity bits, the silly gamey bits, but all the amazing, great fantasy tropes that I kind of love, you know, and there's there's some. Yeah, everything's quite new. Everything tends to be quite long. It, it tends to be quite a saga of a read or, or a watch. But this particular series kind of takes in little little delving into maybe a horror theme fantasy or an epic theme fantasy and at the moment they're kind of doing the the chroma conclave part of the vox machina campaign on, on the series and it's this amazing dragon apocalypse and it's a uh, like i've seen kind of bits of dragon apocalypse before but i think this is probably a really really good one um uh, the way they develop the characters uh, who are the dragons they're not this kind of thing that can't speak this this monster that can do everything it's it's got this fantastic e- egotistical character to to every single one of them um, and they should be because there are these you know like uh tropey ancient dragons of all kinds of colors of all kinds of elements and uh like that's the kind of stuff that i think is great to see come around today as opposed to it maybe just being the usual story of a guy looking for that plus one sword or a guy looking to avenge the dad, but he has to get that armor that his dad used to have first or something. Like I'm still a sucker for all that stuff. I will watch that stuff forever, but to kind of see different takes on the genre. Um, I'm doing kind of adult things and in, in, in animation, which I like, I, I hate that animation is, is kind of seen as a genre and not as a medium, you know, it's, it's capable of doing, any kind of story in, in any form or fashion and and these guys with um i think it's on with titmouse like a, a great studio like they've they've really knocked out of the park it's it's just such an enjoyable watch uh, that first season with the briarwoods was dark as hell and it was great to go from what was a a D radio show 
which I really enjoy when I'm working to actually seeing it uh, created on screen. Yeah. I think Vox Mechanica, Critical Role, Adventure Zone, things like this are putting out what are actual D&D campaigns. Mm-hmm. All the, D- the D&D movies of the past, all of that really tried to be grander than what so much D&D is. Because I've, pl- I've played D&D with the same group for 12 years. And we don't spend most of our time doing these grand adventures. We wind up doing stupid shit. <laughs> and that is what you get when you th- see, yes, eventually Critical gets to these big mm-hmm. things. Because or same with Adventure Zone, but the day-to-day of a D&D campaign is not fighting the god-killing dragon every week. It's, oh, I did something stupid and now the city guard is after me. Or, boy, we really shouldn't have split the party. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one. Oh, yeah. And I think with these people who are really really playing the game and then putting it out there in a digestible medium, you're beginning to see something that is a little more intimate. Mm-hmm. That it's not all Lord of the Rings, the fate of Middle-earth. It's ah, uh, crap. We did wander into the dragon's cavern and that NPC who was supposed to lead us through says something real stupid and the dragon ate him. Yeah, it's that, that, I love that kind of stuff where it's it's less that high fantasy Tolkien and and more like always sunny in Philadelphia. You know, it's <laughs> I mean, how how can you not enjoy that? You know, it's 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 great fun. So uh, how did how did you two connect for this uh, for this book? Uh, we met on Twitter. Uh, <clears throat> like I had written the first script. Um, like I didn't have you know I I hadn't been talking to Walt or anything i just had this script and uh so yeah i just went on the twitter like late at night i don't know like 11 or 12 um and uh said like hey does anybody out there like like to draw fantasy and like um i have a fantasy comic and like you know i just put it up there and i was like well i'm gonna get you know 800 replies um and you know uh 700 and 60 of them are going to suck. Um, but then, yeah, Ben was like, uh, you know, uh, like I heard from him like within the hour um, and he attached his stuff and like four images. And mm-hmm. I was like, clearly here's a, here's somebody who really likes fantasy. So I think it'd be good to have somebody who's not as cynical as myself on uh, as a co-creator um and yeah we started talking and planning and uh yeah it was pretty easy yeah it's been great kind of working which has been really easy like uh, i don't think we've ever been singing off a different hymn sheet it's like uh, i think we've, we've kind of hit it off pretty easily here with this and like kind of on the flip side of like that that tweet you put out i I genuinely thought there'd be, you know, 800 replies and uh, I would be among those 800 replies that wouldn't even get a look or an answer. And I think I answered it like with a kind of a silly sentence and four pieces of, of I think two or three were commissions I literally just finished that were someone's D&D commissions or something. And um, I had said something like, well, he's never going to see this and he's never going to reply. So 
uh, I said, here's four pieces and flutters eyelashes alluringly or something. Never expect to hear back from Chris and then heard back from Chris. So I, I think the lesson was to uh, say silly shit on all your tweets if you want a job. <laughs> <laughs> good advice. Good advice. Uh, so how did it how did it land at Vault then? Um, I was trying, I'm trying to think of what, uh, Adrian, uh, at vault was tweeting about something. He, he was looking for, I don't know. It might've been in reference to, uh, it was in reference to one of their other books. And he's like, you know, if anybody has any other like space stuff in this particular field, like please pitch me it. And I, I DM'd him. I was like, hey, I don't have space stuff, but I know that you like fantasy and I have this fantasy book. Um, can I can I just send you the pitch for it? Um and I sent him the pitch and he like got back to me right away and he's like, I love this, like I want to do this. Um so yeah, it was uh, basically this whole book came together on Twitter. Um <laughs> just like dicking around so um which is why i'm sad that it's dying because like it's resulted in a lot of good stuff including this book um but yeah it was just like i knew that vault you know that's like one of their uh their tent poles is doing fantasy stuff and uh so i thought like who better to bring it to and you know i i did a book with them before called test and i ha had an amazing time making it there so um, I'd been wanting to, I don't know, bring them something cool. So yeah, it just worked out. It was like my history with sending in pitches is like you send in a pitch and then maybe they reply like a few months later with a, we like this, but have you got anything else or, or right. we'll get back to you on this. Uh, and I remember like waking up one morning to an email from Chris saying, I just sent in a pitch to vault and usually like sending in a pitch is like, well, I better fucking uh, tidy up these pages and uh, better put this in order and put something kind of nice in, in it there. But it was all the stuff I just sent to Chris and Chris had sent it off. And I think that day you got a green light on it. I was like, wow, I should, I should have sent pitches to Chris more often. This is, this is way easier. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a rarity. Like it's I've never like had a book like yeah, come together this sort of effortlessly. So cool. Just prepare yourself. All the ones after this are gonna suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'll enjoy this moment while I can then. All the tears will come later. But it yes. has been it has been like pretty easy. I don't think there's been a moment where we've kind of been at loggerheads on a script or on a design. Um, it's been it's just been simple you know everything's worked yep. yeah i had a slightly different version of this question but my head has gone back around on something slightly different religion and mainstream comics have a really weird relationship sure. you don't get a lot of that and when you do it's usually thor or pagan gods comic commentary on religion outside of preacher is often your sci-fi or fantasy of your jim starlin in everything starlin writes that is basically a condemnation of organized religion did how much of this i mean yes it's a, a god but how much of this is about religion and how much of that is just sort of, 
hey, this is a great concept. Dead God, let's go for it. Uh, I'd say it's 80% a cool concept. Um, you know, you can't make a book about a dead God without getting into, you know, issues of belief and faith. And there's definitely, you know, a fair amount of that in there. But I, yeah, I did not want to make a book talking about like religion, um, especially as somebody who has like been, you know, I had 12 years of Catholic schooling, um, and, uh, like to the, like I got confirmed. No, wait. I got, uh, yeah. Communion confirmation. I got, I got first yeah. communion. Um, go. I'm the and same. My, yeah. my mom lied to my grade school and told them like that, like my baptism, I never got baptized. So, <laughs> so she like, she was like, oh yeah, we lost the record or something. Um, like, but, but pinky swear he's been baptized. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, I I am certainly not somebody who is capable of talking about religion in a uh, um, cogent way, um, but you know, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, belief is more what we talk about, mm-hmm. and you know what what people choose to believe, and like the things that people, and not just in a religious sense, but in a getting through life sense of like yeah. you know the things that you tell yourself to deal with, like the horrible shit that you've gone through, or you know when the impossible seems in front of you. So, um, yeah, I, I, especially the way a a lot of comics have handled, uh, religion. Like I, I didn't want to be another one on that pile. Um, so I think the majority of it is like what a reader brings to it. We're Mm -hmm. certainly not, you know, setting anything concrete up. Yeah. Mostly I just thought it'd be really cool to, to, you know, go through a, a dead body. Yeah, like there's just folks that definitely worship in this book, but it's we don't really go into the ins and outs of, of how they worship or, or who they're worshiping or, or how they go about it, any of that kind of stuff. It's just, it's more the latter of what you said. It's more a, a good setting, you know, a bit different. It's kind of like Fantastic Voyage meets Tolkien, which is, you know, I haven't seen that before. You know, it sounds like fun. Yeah, and we certainly, you know, don't, uh, you know, if we have religious, you know, we're not uh, of a mind of like, well, this is good and this is bad. Like, like uh, nobody cares. First of all, it's like, who gives a shit what I think about, you know, organized religion? Um, it's not important. So, so yeah, we, you know, just try to like make a cool story, present everybody as is, um, mm-hmm. you know, make no value judgments and, uh, you know, believe what you want, disbelieve everything. Cool. Cool with me. Sticking with the, yeah, I'm bringing this down a little. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, we live in a time of forever world wars. Blah. Forever wars. And mm-hmm. the world of war has been much more front and center the past year as we approach the anniversary of the war in Ukraine, which granted is just an issue with the West as the there war in Syria has been going on for a decade plus and is as mm-hmm. if not more brutal but excuse me as i'd be cynical for a moment because these are white folk we are now paying more attention here in the west um off my soapbox i just saw a play about this on friday so it's really <laughs> fresh in my mind um but does that constant news cycle of war 
affect and influence how you write and how you draw something like this when there is this undercurrent of, you know, these wars that have been going on for all this time that your protagonist has been fighting in? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's definitely, I don't think anything consciously came through, but, you know, yeah, I've been, you know, I've lived through, uh, you know, um, some of the whole like nuclear panic and the cold war stuff, you know, I've been through the war on terror and the war on drugs. Um, like, so, I mean, yeah, definitely that stuff like seeps in. Um, but you know, I, I didn't, I don't know. Like I, I just wanted to like, uh, as cheap and, uh, sleazy as it sounds i just wanted to make like a bit of escapism um more than anything um you know but there's definitely i mean you know you can't make a book without part of yourself going into it so there's definitely some of my feelings i think come through um and zanzi is very much a character who is like mm. done with war um you know like the, the the book starts with you know they're they're victorious and then you know, uh, the king's son comes along and says, actually, we're not done yet. There's one more place we have to go. Um, and she just walks away. She's like, I'm, I, I'm done. Like, um, but it's not like she loves going. She loves warring. Like, it's the one place where she feels like she really makes sense to herself. Um, and whereas Neth is the character who's traveling with her is somebody who's been deeply affected by the war. Um has like destroyed her home and left her, you know, sort of uh, at odds and wandering. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, all that stuff sneaks in, but hopefully in a in a way that's you know um, enjoyable. I mean, we definitely hit some unenjoyable moments where you know, sure do yeah. dark dark night of the soul stuff, but uh, you know, we try to we try to balance it out. Yeah, we're not shying away from those aspects, but we're not. They're not sent front front and center either, you know. Um, and it would be hard. It'd be hard to live in this era where you're on a constant news feed, where people are constantly at war, and all these things are happening, and you would take it on a little bit, um, even without trying. But uh, like that's not that wasn't the goal anyway. They kind of put that in in into the story. Just our story is about Zanzi's story and how she's just engaging with with everything around her. And she's kind of found herself at war and then she's kind of getting thrown into another war. And there's a great bit in issue one that uh, I think is quite foreshadowing for how she's going to meet the God's body, where as soon as she hears that she's been drafted into uh, another war somewhere else, she walks away, as Chris said there, but she doesn't just walk away. There's like um, a trebuchet or a catapult. I can't remember which one it is in front of her. And instead of walking around it, she goes through it, you know, just just breaks it up and uh so you kind of get the feeling of what exactly what she'll do when she gets to the god's body she's not going to go around this she's, she's going to go through this and it's the fastest way home she doesn't believe in the long way around sandy will just go away suits her so we uh touched on this uh, a little bit mentioned the fantastic voyage you know this is this is a fantasy but it's also a body adventure which is you know a uh, uh, convention with a long and proud tradition and so i got I got down stuck in a, a rabbit hole actually for a while 
I sp- I'm, I'm scrolling like all the uh, the animation, the cartoons that have done body adventure stories. Yeah. And wow, I didn't realize how frequently it happened in animation. It's like in everything, right? Yeah. Batman, body adventure. Teen Titans, mm-hmm. body adventure. Venture Brothers, body adventure. Aqua yeah. Teen Hunger Force, South Park. <laughs> wow. Oh, you name it. Like Rick and Morty, Samurai Jack, they've all done it. Like I'm a big fan of Scott Will's work on, on uh, all the stuff with Kenny Tartavosky. And uh, like they did a great one. And it's it's been really influential to how I kind of tackled some of the stuff inside the body because they just do weird shapes and stuff. I mean, I love all that stuff. Love all that stuff. And I've been sending it on to um to Trina, who you mentioned earlier on. Um, Trina had to leave at the end of issue two, and we had Vittorio Aston come in. And I've been sending them all these kind of I have a little folder of just like uh, weird. I think I sent like some of the stuff on to Chris, these these pork tapeworms and these <laughs> these nerve uh, surgeries where they've cut open bits of an arm and they're putting one pair of nerve onto another one and they look pretty grotesque but this is kind of where we wanted to kind of set it in among all these things and we're not again we're not hiding away from how grotesque or funnily weird the body can be so there's mm-hmm. there's plenty of reference there for us to kind of choose from and um, I've kind of just been dabbling with my favorites um but yeah I mean it, it hasn't been difficult to find reference um like God, gone are the days where you had to go and spend a few hours down in the library to try and find anything. I can find anything I want now, and it's it's <laughs> it's 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 funny. Just just what kind of things can happen to a body to give you such a platform to to create some kind of background with, you know? Um, and I, even recently, it came out with Strange Worlds, right? The new Disney show. Like, there's oh, yeah. there's another one. Yeah, it's that's done very well actually. But yeah, you're not. You don't have to look too hard to try find um, anything from highly abstract insides of a human body to something that's quite real. You could just easily Google "show me somebody riding a white blood," show show me a protagonist <laughs> riding a white blood cell like a horse. <laughs> I might have looked that up actually. <laughs> um, that's what. That's why, like, we're a little different though. It's like we're not yeah. at the the microscopic level, mm-hmm. like. Um, I definitely like inner space is probably still one of my favorite movies. Um, but yeah, ours is a bit more um, bigger in scale. So, mm-hmm. you know, Zanzi and Neth enter God's body through the, just this big hole that's been cut at the bottom, you know, the, the sole of its foot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, when they get in there, you know, eventually they're going to get to the guts and like, you know, th- the intestines that are like still full of blood and fluid and they're like riding boats through it. So like <clears throat> we tried to sort of upscale a little bit and, um, you know, yeah, do something a little uh, off the beaten path, uh, yeah. hopefully. So, um, you know, we mentioned our two leads, uh, Zanzi and Neth. You know, what mm-hmm. is, what is sort of the dynamic between them i i guess you know we talked about one being sort of a tired warrior one being you know uh kind of a, a victim of the ongoing violence but you know in terms of of kind of how they relate to each other um uh, do you ever see that there's a warner brothers cartoon there's a recurring bit where there's like a big giant bulldog and then there's this little yappy dog that's like bouncing around him as he's like He's just walking sternly down the street and this little 
dog just <laughs> leaping around like talking to him very excited that's mm-hmm. very much uh i think the the dynamic between them is like neth is uh, you know just a chatterbox and like is excited to be with somebody who like she finally feels safe with someone and she knows that like with zanzi at her side like she'll she'll be safer than she's been in months um and zanzi is just like i know where i need to go and i know what's in my way so i'm like anybody who tries to stop me i just have to go through them so yeah it's uh um it's like someone on a scooter zipping around a tank That's great. I think that's that's like Butch from Tom and Jerry, right? And his little son or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a great a uh, great example there. Yeah. So, uh, Dungeon Master Matt, we've read the first two issues. How do you feel like you would stat out Zanzi and Neth for a campaign? Not uh, Neth. I still need some some time there. I mean, Zanzi is probably some sort of high level mostly fighter with some barbarian mixed in there to 100 percent yeah 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 probably i mean we're talking probably 10 levels of fighter five levels of barbarian like very maybe some tavern brawler in there as well Mm, yes yeah i'm still not sure but nefazanzi definitely is is that i think her strength is maxed out at 22 you know it's 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 all the way Yeah, Yeah. yeah Neth somewhere in the rogue category. So yeah, I was I, I I needed to see a little more there just because there non brawler non magic classes are so like something like ranger has a lot of skills, but it's so geared towards nature. It's like you could take mm-hmm. some of that stuff and get it, but it's I mean definitely like rogue. a like a rogue scout or something. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, and or there's there's all kinds of like homebrew classes that I've played mm-hmm. with too. Uh, one that I I'm a big fan of that somebody created online that a friend of mine showed me for a character that's the savant, which is this sort of, uh, basically it's Indiana Jones in a D and D setting. Brilliant. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a great class. For, they're, they're wandering, they're adventuring academics. And I, I had built a character around that kind of concept and was trying to bend a, a high-int rogue around it. And my buddy Larry's like, no, 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 I saw a guy here. Let me <laughs> let me find this thing for you. And it's like, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Especially for a character, rogue was not going to be at all useful because I had an eight decks. But it was, <laughs> it, it's like, he's not a magic user. He's just a, a brain, but he's got these, you know, sort of like, weird like sort of ranged combat things because he can't get into combat because physically was like okay i rolled the stats like eight decks huh well he has one leg that explains how he literally has a negative one to everything decks literally walks around on a big old you know bow staff that's the closest thing he has to a, a melee weapon and is an archer because he can't get into combat because he lost a leg in a horse riding you know an accident in his youth and now is this scholar 
Or like, yeah, that, that's something. There's, yeah, Rogue is definitely the closest I can think from the traditional classes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you're going a bit different, is it, is it Rogue Mastermind? Is that another one if you're looking for a high? Is that yeah. is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So, uh, you got to design and then kill God, uh, as we've talked about. How did that, or did that design evolve over time from, you know, conception to print? It was something we discussed pretty early on. Um, I, I got a, a lowdown from Chris on what he thought of Zanzi and what he thought of Neth and what he kind of wanted from the God. And Zanzi and Neth came together pretty quickly, but the God went through like a bunch of iterations and never really a big change, just always more of a streamline. Um, when when we started off with the god, the god had hair and and some clothes, and Chris is saying, nah, we don't think we really need to go for them, and um, something a bit more androgynous, something a bit different, um, and uh, I think from that point, I kind of really went into graphically trying to design the god, like something that I could really, really go heavy and lean on to make this look drastically different. And I kind of had a feeling from the very start that the God might have been our image of the book. That would be our, our, our unique thing to us. So I really wanted to get this right and uh, went through another iteration, leaned really heavily into, um, oh, I forget the name of it now. The, uh, is it Yujitsu symbol, the, the yin yang symbol? Am I saying that right? I can't remember now, but that that circle with you know black and white and the seed of white mm. in the black and and then and the seed of black and the white, and um, that kind of feeling that there's good and bad in all of us in some form or fashion, and like that kind of sounded like a god to me, you know, it, kind of like Chris growing up, going through years and years of Catholic school, you hear about all the good things and all the bad things God does, right? So kind of being at the stage we were at when we were designing the god, I, I wanted him to make sure that he was capable of, of doing all these good and bad things. And uh, that's kind of what informed the the hoofs for his feet. I kind of thought that I was leaning a little too more into a kind of a humanoid. We definitely didn't want a big beardy guy in some robes. Um, so I thought like if I leaned into traditional designs on the devil or he has hooves for feet that we can kind of put a hoof in there and that kind of stuff. But didn't go with your traditional hoof kind of aliened it a little bit, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, and then taking from other religions as well, there's just little spots all over the God's body that are kind of actually on chakra points. Um, and uh, like we eventually settled on a design where the God had eyes and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and we were really happy with it. And it was that design for a long time. And then Dershing Helmer joined the editorial team. And she kind of thought that we could probably push this a little further. And she said something about making the God um, more mysterious, harder to read, that kind of stuff. And everything he said really sounded like it made a lot of sense. Um, so we went back and uh, we had another go at it. I, I think just really streamlined it again, took away aspects that made the God look in any way human. And um, we still needed to be a big biped. It still needed to be something characters could go in and walk through and... Um, destroy and carve all this kind of stuff. So it needed to be a biped. It couldn't be too different. Um, so we eventually just kind of cut away some things on it, and uh, we kind of ended up with the god that we have now. We're pretty happy with it. But one of the other things we kind of wanted to do with the god was 
it had to have some kind of cool pose, right? It had to have something that was going to be the image that people would worship, right? Because we're we're all familiar with Christ on the cross. Um, We're all familiar with the Vitruvian man, that kind of symbol. We needed something that was going to be that that kind of idea. And uh, we also needed these guys to pass through the body in a way that was going to be convenient for us. So... I thought about doing this this thing like where the, the legs are crossed at the end. So if we needed the characters to shimmy over to the left or right side of the body at some point, we, we had that option. Um, and also left this with a really good silhouette. Um, and it was easy. It was really easy going through. I mean, we must have gone through a bunch of designs on this. And every time we did it, I, I kind of felt like like we I would know if we were closer to what we wanted by Chris's reaction or Darching's reaction to uh, to what we were doing. And I'd know if I needed to push that, whether whether Chris liked that or if I was if I was second guessing myself on something, I'd put it in there and I'd see their reaction. And then I'd know if they were on the same side as me and that or I should lean heavier into that. But um, that was that was kind of the process. It just kind of we started off with something and then just kind of cut away bits and then cut away more bits until we were left with the God that we have. The uh, the entrance to God is in the bottom of the foot, as you mentioned. Why there specifically when presumably an anthropomorphized god has many of the same holes that we do? Does it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we. it's One not of the mysteries. canon. <laughs> uh, I think our god, well, I think our god starts out with fewer holes, but uh, then <laughs> people start tunneling through him. Uh, I don't know. It just felt like, I think that's like one of the first like sort of visuals after you know god falling to earth was like i just had this visual of like this huge foot sort of looming you know like a tall building and just this hole carved like carved out of it um and like this this tunnel just sort of carved through the leg of god um it just felt very like iconic and a very good way to start um yeah like um yeah uh i think and you know uh I don't know. I think it just feels more satisfying to have them travel through the entirety of the body. Um, I definitely never had a thought about them, like going through the sphincter or something, (laughs) Um, which might, which probably, you know, would have been a better shortcut. Um, But uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, I, I, uh, this book has really taught me a lot about human anatomy uh, it's the first time I've really sort of plotted out a book with like, you know, a uh, uh, an anatomy website open next to me so I can properly plot like, okay, here's like, you know, we have to go by the gallbladder here and, um, you know, here's the spleen and like, um, you know, figuring out like, oh, okay, well, like when they enter the leg, it's going to be narrower, but when they get to the thigh, then it'll like become really cavernous and huge. Um yeah, it was all just kind of a challenge in like how to um, mostly, you know, um, how to make the body a, a workable environment. It's, it's a tricky kind of balancing act, isn't it? Like where we're trying to make this thing look absolutely huge, massive, just just colossal, but also kind of claustrophobic. There has to be kind of a an end around parts of it as well. So it's it's been kind of fun to kind of balance all that stuff and kind of see where is that happy place for us. 
apart from God, is there a favorite sort of non-spoilery concept or character that you got to play with in the book? Do you have a favorite, uh, Chris? Uh, I think I, I was very happy with the pelvis. Um, <laughs> like, uh, which is in issue three, but like, yeah, I, I, like I hadn't really had any thought, you know, I hadn't really planned for it, but like when I was finishing issue two, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was like, well, that's like naturally where the, the leg would lead is up into the pelvis. And I was like, of course, like, you know, um, weird sex people would show up. Um, (laughs) so that was, uh, yeah. And then I just kind of made it a, uh, you know, a, a bit of a free for all, like it's, it's the spot where, um you know it's, it it's where the people who are like well shit like god is dead like has fallen to earth like that means we probably don't have a lot of time left like let's like you know uh eat and drink and fuck uh, as much as we can um and we're you know we're better to do it than with a bunch of other uh doom people in uh in god's pelvis so um yeah, I don't know. Each each issue is like a challenge of like how to make it, you know, where it's not just like two characters trudging through um, a big blood and flesh landscape. So, um, but I think the pelvis was the one where I was like, yeah, as soon as they walk in, like people are just fucking everywhere. Like um, <laughs> that was a uh, that was that was that was funny. I think Zanzi's reaction to that was uh, right on the money. Um, I I have to like every time I get a script from Chris, there's like a a character that we've maybe only kind of chatted about a little bit, and then I get to read their dialogue. I was like, oh, I fucking love this character now. Like, and there was, <laughs> there was a, there was one. You you guys said you read the first two issues, correct? So there, there's a character in the second issue, um, that I really like. Um, he's our he's one of our bad guys, you know, and um. When we were chatting about bad guys initially, we weren't going to have one. It was going to be kind of a big mob that Zanti would have to face. And I remember Chris exactly saying this like that. We don't really want like, you know, one bad guy like the Joker or something. We'll, we'll come up with something, you know, that he, he'll, he'll be a talker of, of a group of people. And then he came out with this guy and he's fucking brilliant. Um, and he is more of a joker than a kind of a, a face to a mob. He's he's such a good uh, he's such a good bad guy. And he he looks like an absolute barbarian, like he's just covered in blood. And but then his speech is is quite dignified and he's he's quite proper. And um, it was really fun kind of acting him out, like and having him kind of, uh, you know, straight up shoulders back. Um, he's holding a big kind of club with uh, two human skulls fused at one end, you know. Uh, so he looks very contradictory to how he's presenting himself, and uh, I think he's he's just, he's just been one of my favorite characters to play with. But then, then there was a character in the third issue that I really liked, and then there was a characters in the fourth issue that I really liked. So it's it's been really it's been a lot of fun kind of playing with this. But I keep coming back to that bad guy. He's he was a curveball. I wasn't expecting that kind of character to come out of our conversation, and he's he's been brilliant. I, uh, you know, it, it's funny, you know, we talked about God's pelvis and, and, and what goes on there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, looking through the, the, you know, especially in the first issue, I, I had this thing in my head, like, yeah, a lot of these background characters look like they're about to peel off to go have sex with each other. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
is that is that one of the secrets to keeping crowd scenes interesting for uh <laughs> for an artist yeah i just just wanted to do something nice one day you know i thought oh yeah okay i'll just i guess i'll have everyone having sex um <laughs> no it's 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 a big part of, of what happens in that and when you get into the third issue you'll see exactly why and what happens and it's it's a very different atmosphere like like uh to what we are presented about and I love these two words together that Chris coined the flesh hotels that exist in in the second issue um when you meet when you meet the uh the group that live there the faction that are there there's another faction then in the pelvis and they they have a very different kind of culture different kind of look different aesthetic altogether and uh this this keeps changing every issue we meet a new kind of people who do live a different kind of way look a different kind of way and yeah it's just um like you know, when you're drawing one group of people who maybe go off to have sex with each other, you're drawing another group of people who maybe eat other people. And then you have a whole other set of people who do very different things. So it's, I got to scratch a lot of itches on this. Being the fantasy fan that I am, I've kind of got to go and and draw a lot of those different elements of fantasy. And it's, 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 been, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's been a book that uh, there's never really been a moment where I mean, Oh, I just want to get through this now so I can get back to the bit where Zanzi has to like squash someone's head or skull with her hand again. You know, um, everything has been fun. Uh, and it's, it's been great to see how Chris has kind of paced it out because in no way do I feel like we're being made feel that this is this character's sad moment. This is this character's happy moment. You know, I think you really do genuinely uh, empathize with the characters uh, because of the way it's been kind of put out in front of us as opposed to told uh, this is how we're supposed to feel now. And uh, you you also, so, so Zanzi rides a horse with bullhorns. You know, Neth rides what looks like an ox with a platypus bill. You know, there are rat birds flying around. Um, how deliberately were you trying to play Dr. Moreau? <laughs> <laughs> it was a struggle, actually, because like uh, when I first when I first designed Zanzi, I did it with Chris's sentence of um, Zanzi or uh, Zanzi was to be a force of na- a human as a force of nature. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like so no matter what I drew and came up with, I, I wanted to hit that mark all the time. And um, so it was front and center of the model sheet when I was kind of drawing up uh, anything about her. And when we got the design on Zanzi, I then needed like a steed for a force of nature. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, we'll go look at some horses. And I looked at a whole bunch of horses. Um, the Streer horse was something I kind of settled on for a while, but then I kind of felt like I'd seen that before and didn't really seem like it was enough. And um, I kind of clicked in and I went, oh, holy shit, we're doing a fantasy book. I can, I can kind of make up something here. I can come up with something that would be worthy of a force of nature. So I started looking at all these bulls and like the the horrible that we've called this, 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 uh, the animal, the steed that uh, Zanzi has is a mix of a, a Belgian blue cow, which is like this ridiculously muscular cow. Uh, like it's, I mean, this looks like it does nothing but spend all its days in the gym, just blasting the slats and doing <laughs> squats. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's got muscles on its muscles, you know, mm-hmm. um, it would definitely fail a drug test. And, um, then I was looking at like um, horns on Spanish bulls, the Spanish fighting bulls, uh, and the Streer horse, and that's kind of where we came up with the horrible. And um, this kind of turned into like, what else could we have? What else do we need? And 
generally there's birds and rats and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll have a bird rat. And I sent Chris <laughs> on like a rat pigeon and um, there was cat monkeys and there's, uh, you know, I'm a big D&D fan. So I didn't want to do an owl bear. So I did an eagle bear. Um, don't want to sue us for that one. Right, Chris? And um, I had nothing to do with that if they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's just them, um, whatever we kind of needed, like, um, and and there's things in that exist inside the God's body that don't necessarily refer to something we'd see in our usual everyday kind of wildlife uh, that have been really fun to, to mess around with as well. And, um, you know, weird pork tapeworms with hercules maggots mixed with some other thing i'm forgetting about but like it's 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 been a real character designer's dream you know uh like uh, we really have designed this world from scratch and uh yeah kind of trying to find like what purpose an animal has what it's supposed to do or how it's supposed to reflect someone has uh, kind of been the reason why i've kind of uh made all these chimeras and uh, I, I really liked like Netsteed, like the platalo, which is a, a platypus buffalo. Um, <laughs> and the whole idea of that was that this would be a favored steed by by thieves because it was, you know, capable of being in the water. It's quite tame, but it's quite powerful. You know, it doesn't doesn't have to be like this, this big, difficult, proud, horrible that might be hard to tame that the armies prefer to use. Um, and then there's all kinds of beasts of burden, some kind of lizard mixes, and there's mole rat bats and stuff. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, anything I can possibly kind of think of, I'll I'll, I'll run it by by Chris and the team vault, and it's uh, generally it's it's all been received pretty well. It's it's been fun. I gotta well, say, as a cat lover, the idea of a cat monkey is utterly terrifying yeah. the native <laughs> sadism of a cat oh. mixed with the dexterity of a monkey is a scary concept and i love it yeah i think like if we get to do a book two of Godfell, i think zanzi's dead and these cat monkeys have taken over they're they're the ultimate race now and um it's it's, <laughs> it's their world you know we we just live in it and uh yeah it might have been my biggest mistake you know <laughs> uh, planet of the cat apes you blew it up <laughs> uh well uh, any store signings or appearances coming up for either of you to celebrate the launch of this book? Uh, ben does. Yeah, I've got him. Um, I will be doing a signing in the Big Bang comic shop in Dundrum on the 25th, Saturday the 25th at five o'clock. And I actually have some stuff to give away to people to come. So like I, I, I'm kind of new here, so I'm trying to buy in as many people as I possibly can because people <laughs> haven't heard of me before. So I have a couple of sketches that I'm going to give away on the day. And I also have like a, a golden ticket that I'm going to give to uh, someone after signing as well. And that ticket will will give them a portfolio review from me uh, via Zoom at a later date. That kind of suits us both. Um, so I'll be doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that'll get people down to Dublin for 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 the for the day. I know, I know. I, I live in Portland where there are too many comics people, so the general <laughs> public is just like, uh, I can see that guy like at Safeway. So, <laughs> um, so I'm not doing any signings. Okay. Well, um, you know, Chris, I wanted to check in on this. Last fall, you had the Kickstarter for the third and fourth issues of Foul Brood your uh, B crime comic with Claire yes. Rowe. Uh, are you still in the, uh, the fulfillment uh, process? With yeah, the, that's with actually that started like the, 
I got uh, the end of the year kicked my ass. So um, I was very optimistic. I was like, no, I'm going to have this all wrapped up before the year is over. And then the end of the year happened. So, um, yeah, I'm just uh, getting the last of the surveys in and about to put it in order with the printer. Um, issue five is completely done. And issue six is should be done in uh, the next month or two. So, um we'll have that all sewn up soon um and yeah i'm gonna miss that when it's gone but uh, i'm glad i finally got to to get this b crime stuff out of my system (laughs) how do you feel like in in the past few years your approach to figuring out where to publish what has has changed um you know, a lot of it for me is, um, um, I don't know, there there are some stories that I think like, okay, this one is like head and shoulders above, um, so I'm going to like hold on to it, um, and, you know, I'm going to take it to like my dream place, and like, uh, I'm not going to settle for anything less. Uh, something like Falbrood is like such a weird, uh, I don't know, It's it to me it feels like an outlier in comics like it's a you know it's a story about a a a woman you know in her like 60s who's trying to get her bees back that somebody stole like it's uh it's very slow burn you know it's uh it's more like watching uh, the fargo tv show than um john wick um (laughs) but we definitely have some john wicky moments but uh yeah it's just it's a it's a I think a lot of it is um, how, like, who does this appeal to? And, you know, stuff with, like, Falbrood and um, Short Order Crooks, which was the first book I really uh, crowdfunded, like, uh, which was another crime book, and it was all about food trucks. So um, I guess I'm just going to self-publish all my weird, like, crime plus, uh, you know, um, odd thing. Like I do want to do something about plant thieves, so that might be the third of my trilogy. But um, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, a lot of it is also you know I I want to I don't want to give away everything. You know, there are some publishers who like they want they want you know oh we'll split you know fifty fifty um, on publishing, but like you know they want all the media rights and like mm-hmm. you know. Um, in a world where you know there are eight million streaming services, like I definitely have to take uh, at times a very uh, um, hard line approach of like you know is it is it worth giving away fifty percent of this um, you know in terms of what I get back? So like uh, you know some publishers, even though you are partners, they don't feel like it. Uh, Vault very much you know feels like they are our partners on this and they've been you know like super supportive and like walked us through everything but some publishers will just be like uh okay here's when your scripts are due and then we'll show you when the inks are all done and um you know if you're lucky we'll tell you when it's coming out um so yeah i don't know it's just uh more and more i I try to I don't know. I, I just want to like, I, I never want to lose control of any of my stuff. So, um, you know, I, I think about like, um, like the, uh, 
one of the MCs from De La Soul, Dave, uh, passed away. And like those dudes fought for like 20 years to get the rights to their first three albums back. Like, and you couldn't get them anywhere. Like they weren't on any streaming services. You had to, you know, uh, you had to go to YouTube where just some dude uploaded them. So right. like, I, I don't know. I worry about stuff like that. Like I don't want to, you know, have, and you know, you, you have uh, publishers that are getting like taken over or um, declaring bankruptcy. Like it's, it's very, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a very risk versus reward uh, algorithm that I do in my head. And it, there's nothing, you know, sometimes it just comes down to a feeling of like, is this like, does this feel right for this place? Or like, is this just going to like, they won't know what to do with it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, you know, it's a, it's another sense you develop, like, you know, uh, the same way, like you can meet somebody and go like, Oh, this dude's an asshole. I don't want anything to do with him. Like, <laughs> you don't have that instantly. You have to meet a lot of assholes to develop that sense. Yeah, so. you have to go to a diff- go to a few different publishers to figure out when the vibes are off. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You gotta like, yeah, have have all the experiences, good and ill, and then you know you start to form sort of an ethos of like what you're gonna do with your work and where you're gonna put it. Um, but more important question. How's Zola? How's the dog? She's good. She came in briefly for a second, but uh, <laughs> um, she had dinner right before this, so I'm sure she's asleep in her throne. Yeah, no, she's she's got zero complaints. Uh, there were handymen here today um, working on our windows, so that's always very exciting when someone other than me comes into this house. <laughs> so, yeah, she's having a banner day. Yeah. Now, uh, Ben, I was curious, you know, as, as an artist, you know, who are, who are some of the artists that you, uh, you're into personally? This changes day to day. Um, I could answer this question for about four hours if you'd let me, but <laughs> I, I think, I think today I was looking at, uh, uh, David Coleman, Stephen Silver, uh, Vincent Malier, um, yeah, they were they were they're who I was with today. Um, I, I love Stephen Silver stuff. There's um, there's so many problem solving techniques in his books. To, like if you're if you kind of find you're, you're not really hitting a design, you know, yeah, one I keep going back to is um, is that uh, that figure of eight he keeps promoting. You know, like uh, you can squash and stretch one end of the figure of eight or the other one and make it look radically different. You know, what could be really wide at the bottom, really tall at the top, or even or vice versa. And um, that was that. That's that's been kind of handy uh, throughout this project because it, it's a bit different um, comics than than animation. And animation, like there's a whole art department, you know, um, mm-hmm. and they get scripts with characters, and then they spend whatever amount of time designing them, and then they're sent on to another group of people um, who you know make. Uh, model sheets are or even just make like a kind of 2d puppets for animators to go use you know um, if it's not drawn um so to kind of get my chance to because i can come mostly from storyboards um and here i'm kind of getting to do the character designs the storyboards the backgrounds and usually i've done like one at one of those at a time um so it's been great to kind of 
have my little like a you know the background guy the the animator guy and the character designer guy and maybe the cinematographer that i quite like um all kind of pitching in on the same day giving me a hand um there's um it's it's kind of it's kind of funny how much of an impact they can have you kind of have to be careful with that like i was a massive absolutely massive huge humberto ramos fan like just Mm. just to the point like where it was no longer inspiration it was just pure plagiarism and uh, i i actually put his stuff away for like a couple of years because i think naturally there's a few things i do with faces that he does and um i think finding someone that kind of did that and then found the right way to make it look really aesthetically pleasing and how to make his characters a mold properly all this kind of stuff that was what i wanted and when I got to the point like where I was just trying to be a watered down version of him, I went, I have to make a radical change. And um, I, I, I kind of put away a lot of people and just started like referencing from life. Um, I saw the change completely. Don't think it looks like Humberto Ramos is anymore. Um, uh, I hope, I hope it looks like a Benesi style. Like people refer that to me, you know, as opposed to looking like it looked like someone else, but I guess you can't really walk away from all your, your inspirations, you know, um, don't get too far from them anyway but um yeah it, it changes day to day if i find someone who who's found a shortcut or or a really interesting take on how to describe some kind of uh, emotion or a background that i'll try and steal that and i'll try and make it my own as best i can you know uh really helps really helps uh because i think the more like as as i want to kind of be known as as a good artist rather than a quick artist but i don't want to be known as a late artist either so if i can make something look nice and like i can make sure i'm, I'm kind of on time that's 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 where i'm at that's that's my jam so uh all these guys the david commons the the steven silvers uh visit malleus they're all helping me right now and uh you have your own podcast uh the odds pod uh do you want to tell people what it's about pretty quickly yeah, um, if you're an apocalyptic lover like myself, um, you might like the Odds Pod. It's a a podcast where myself and my friend uh, Dave Hendrick, who we actually started the we started the podcast because we have a book called The Odds that's going hopefully going to come out at the end of the year, and it's a it's a post apocalyptic book and it's coming out with Scout, and um, we needed a way to promote it, and. Uh, Dave thought the podcast would be the best way to do it. And it's been a really fun way to do it. Uh, it's been a great way to socialize whilst working, or usually I'm just in the room on my own, you know, so I get to talk to real people for a while. But we bring on a guest once a week and we ask them what their favorite apocalypse is. And uh, it's been really interesting to see everyone's take on it because I thought everyone would go with Romero zombies or something, something to that effect. But uh, mm. there's been some really good answers where it's people wrapping up a story and never getting to work on these characters ever again. And that's, that's been their own kind of apocalypse or we had, um, uh, we had a great one, like where it was America's response to an end of the world threat, like an actual, like the real thing, like the one that's actually in the books on how you're supposed to react. And it, it plays out better than any Leslie Nielsen spoof you'll ever see. It was just incredible. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's been a fun one. It comes out every Thursday. Um, and at the moment we're also doing, a last of us companion pod um so that comes out as soon as the latest episode comes out Excellent. Why, uh, did, nope. why didn't nope. we do one called pod fell uh, you know what <laughs> sounds great i'm in <laughs> <laughs> i know a guy <laughs> uh 
Uh, you do it between issues one and two, and you you know, or you, you keep those pre-orders going for later issues. There you go. <laughs> That's what we'll do. All right. I'll sign you up. We'll get this sorted once a week. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> uh, all right. Penultimate question for you both. Uh, what are you reading right now? Chris, you want to go first? Um, I, uh, what am I reading right now? I'm, I'm making my way through the big brick-like, uh, stray bullets, mm. uh, compendium. Um, and I'm reading, uh, uh, Paul Tremblay's, uh, cabin at the end of the world, which I guess is the basis for the new M night Shyamalan movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I figured I'd just read the book instead. Um, Oh, and then I'm reading some plays by uh, Martin Donovan. Is that his name? The Banshees of Innershin. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Donna, isn't it? Donna. Yeah, yeah, Donna. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to read more plays this year. I feel like that might be a useful uh, thing for writing dialogue and comics and like staging stuff. So I've been trying to um, get my nice head into uh plays so that's yeah that's what i got right now um i'm i'm not reading anything major i have a massive pile of comics to my right here that i'm not <laughs> going to show you because it's it's just shameful how many i have that i'm not reading at the moment uh but like in that pile i can tell you there's amazing spider-man um i'll never not have that no matter who's on it or whatever i i, I can't get enough spidey um saga like everyone else in the world mm-hmm. um reading i think i have white knight in there as well the uh, sean murphy book mm-hmm. um and i'm finally audiobooking getting through brandon sanderson's the way of kings mm-hmm. um that's been on that list for i don't know how long i should be getting through that a lot quicker as well all i do is work really so there's no reason why i can't be listening to that while i'm working um yeah that's kind of what i'm what i'm going through at the moment uh, well, gentlemen, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you back out into the world uh, and to bed in Ben's case. Uh, how sure. can people follow you online and keep up with Godfell and everything else that you have going on? Um, I'm on, I've signed up to so many different new social <laughs> networking, uh, but I'm uh, XTOP on every single one of them. Like I get to them first so I can get my name. And then sometimes I do nothing with them. But <laughs> if you're looking for me on basically any platform except for Facebook and TikTok, um, I'm Xtop, X-T-O-P. Um, and I have a website, which is myname.com. So go look for me. I, I'm I'm Benesee.com. I'm I'm Benesee on most social networks, um, but I wasn't quick enough to get some of the other ones like Chris was. Uh, so I'm I'm Benesee's Tick on TikTok. I'm uh, I think Benesee's Art on YouTube. That's that's new. And um, like Chris, there's a rake of other ones I've signed up on. I think I'm Benesee on most of them, if not all of them. Um, but I'm pretty quick to get back. Um, if you're ever in contact, you'll kind of find any news about Godfell there. I'm sure. Falls will be talking about Godfell too. You'll see loads of it there too. Uh, yeah, I think that's where you'll find us in Godfell. Um, well, guys, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having, thanks us. For having us. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, 
along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claws sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Kat Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, if Spider-Man can teach the Beyonder to poop, you can pretty much do anything you set your mind to. I believe in you. W-N-Q-A.